As we launch a new series today, I want to explain my underlying premise for what I am sharing and also why. As we look at and consider our cultural context today and the issues that we face, I think there's two essential things that I want us to know and get out of the next uh, season as we talk about all these things. And the first is we need to discern biblically what we believe about the vision and the values of our current culture. And the second thing I hope we get out of this is, and what I think we ought to do is we must determine how to navigate through the issues that we are facing today as Christians, especially when our values are in conflict. It's very important. So there's the truth, but then there's also the wisdom. How do we apply? How do we navigate in the world that we live in? So I called this sermon series Christ in Culture because I had this in my mind that if Jesus were physically present with us today, and I know some of you theologically are thinking, well, he is with us today. Yes, he is by his spirit. Yes, he is through his word. And yes, he is through his church. But I'm just saying if Jesus were physically present with us right here and right now, and he were standing here and we asked him about all the current cultural issues that are talked about, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus think and what would Jesus do? Wouldn't you like to have that dialogue with Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Sometimes we're just kind of meandering through and lots of pastors have lots of things to say, lots of podcasts. I'm going to do my best, guys. I'm going to do my best. But man, I just thought, what would, what would it be like to have Jesus right, right here? And so that's, that's how I'm looking at this. And if Christ were in our culture, living and breathing and moving about physically and we could talk to him, what, what wisdom would he give us? What truth would he share? That's what we're going after. And I hope that I can answer some of that. I hope that we, as we open the Bible, that we'll come to terms with, with that and grow together. Before jumping into our passage in John 17, I want to define the word culture because it's going to be a word I'm going to use a lot. And I think we need to define our terms. I think we often assume that we all understand or we're all on the same page when a word gets shared. But I find a lot of times that we come from different places, and one word can mean a totally different thing to another person. And so when I say the word culture, here's what I mean. Culture is the total or the outcome of shared ideas, beliefs, knowledge, customs, and values of a group of people. There are words that we also use to kind of add to this definition, a word like ideology, a set of ideas. It's sort of a political word, or it's often used in the political world. But that's another word that we kind of bootstrap to this term culture. We also use the word worldview. A worldview is the way that you see the world. And so this is sort of a way that I think we can define um, the word culture. But when we think about culture, especially like in the church, oftentimes pastors or preachers or podcasters will say, you know, the culture. And they're referring to like negative things in the culture. That's what they're usually talking about. And that's fair. I mean, there are obviously a lot of negative, anti-unbiblical things in the culture, but culture is more than just the negative side. Not everything in the culture is unbiblical. Not everything in the culture is ungodly. Some things in the culture are neutral, some things in the culture are redeemable, and some things in the culture need to be resisted. And we have to know the Bible and the heart of God well enough to know how it is that we posture ourselves when we think about all of these kinds of things. But if you go to the coffee shop or if you turn on the TV or if you go to school or, or your workplace, cultural ideas, ideologies are streaming to us all the time. 
mean, you live in the same world that I do. It's ideas, it's, it's thoughts, it's patterns, it's ways of being, ways of acting, ways of thinking. And, and there's a tension inside the Christian because Jesus' kingdom is often not similar to or even neutral with the kingdom of this world. And so we find ourselves in, in tension uh, in a considerable way quite often. And I was thinking about how there are cultural creeds today. And these are just some of them. There are many others. But, I mean, if you get triggered, that's you, not me. Amen? My neighbor has this sign. I didn't pull this from my yard, all right? So it's, some of you might have this. I mean, anyways, we're a big church. We've got a lot of folks. Every, people differ. I think you know that. And this says, this ha- in this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human's rights, no human is illegal, science is real. just want you guys to know that. Love is love, and kindness is positively, absolutely, 100% everything. These are, these are cultural creeds. Anybody ever seen these? Okay. So to be fair, uh, one of our staff members actually mentioned this to me. To be fair, there are other ones, like not just Black Lives Matter, but All Lives Matter. These are statements in our culture. But here's the tension. These statements are worded and crafted in a way in what I would call oversimplification. So when people see them, if you didn't know anything else, you'd be like, of course, black lives matter. Who's not going to say that? I mean, we have many African-American and black members of our church. Who's not going to say that? Not this guy, just so you know. Black lives matter. I mean, science is real. Who's going to say science is not real? Love is... Seems to be, you know, <laughs> grass is grass, and love it. Just, I don't know, you know. The kindness is everything seems kind of odd, but a- anyways, <laughs> if you're married, you're like, kindness is not everything. You should take out the trash, too, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Acts of service, sir. Um, anyways, um, that sign might trigger you for some reason, but, but here's what happens. We have these statements that are oversimplifications, but these statements are actually attached to movements. The reason that it's tense or complex, or when I even bring out the sign, a couple of you, you know, turn one way or the other, the reason is because there's, it's an ideology. Like these statements are attached to a set of ideas that we fight over in the culture. It's called culture wars. People believe this way and they believe that way. And some people like to say, stay simplistic. They like to just say, well, how could you disagree with any of those terms? Or how can you disagree with any of those statements? How is that possible? Some people like to stay, they just like to live in this bubble of simplicity. Like, I love you, but like, not everybody's like you, you know. The rest of us, we're kind of grappling with what is that attached to? And do I agree with all of these ideas? Do I agree with all of this mindset? Do I agree with this movement? Is, is that what I stand for? Is that, and, and more importantly, is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what Jesus stands for? The people that say this and the people that represent that, are they representing the heart of God? Are they representing the scriptures? And that's really what we're trying to determine as we think about the culture wars. I was thinking about Jesus and how Jesus is such a beautiful example of who it is that we want to be and what we want to be like. Guys, culture has been secular and ungodly in every generation. Sometimes people say things to me like, this generation and this culture is like the worst of the planet. I'm like, have you read history? Like, have you read history? Oh my gosh. 
Like the more history that I read, the more I'm overwhelmed with how sinful human beings can be. How horrible we have been to each other over the years. So when I think through this, I, I was kind of thinking about Jesus. And you remember when Jesus was asked a question? In fact, there are books written about how many questions Jesus was asked. He was asked like 150 questions. You know, he only answered five directly. That means Jesus only found five questions, actually good questions. You know what he did the rest of the time? He redirected the question. He did what parents do to their kids all the time. When a question was asked, they ask a question back. It's the best way to parent. I love it. He had a way about redirecting the entire conversation. You remember Jesus was cornered and he was asked about marriage, remarriage, and divorce. And Jesus said, you don't get it. He took a step back and then he pointed, no, 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 you don't understand what you're asking. Actually, from the beginning, God created men and women for covenant relationship. That's what God created. You're asking a question about this, but I'm telling you, you've lost the beauty of and you've lost sight of what this is really about. And that's what happens to us. So we oversimplify things over here. Do you agree? Do you disagree? And Jesus, I think, steps back and says, what is this really about? And that's often what we fail to do if we're really honest. What does God think? What does God's word say? What is God's heart? What would he say? And I think Jesus Jesus would have some stuff to say uh, to all of us today because what we do know is that when Jesus stepped into our world, his kingdom, his way of thinking, his way of living clashed with the Roman way and even the Orthodox Jewish way of thinking. He clashed with everybody the religious folks, and he clashed with the pagans. He clashed with everybody, and his heart was to see everyone saved and to ultimately follow him. But every generation has dealt with secular culture, and when I say secular culture, I mean godless culture. That's what, that's what that means. It means without God, not considering God, not, not including God. It's culture with, without God. And there are cultural beliefs today that we have that are in conflict with God's word in his kingdom and that's spiritual in nature. And when we think about the negative aspect of the culture, there's actually a biblical word for this throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. And it's the word world. Everybody say world. world. That when you read the Bible, that's what it's talking about. You could actually make a parallel to the term culture, the negative aspect of culture. And so in John chapter 17, it's Passover And Jesus has been with his disciples for some time, and he's preparing them. He's about to go to the cross and give his life for the sins of all. And so he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. Hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come in my stead, and I've asked the Father to give you another counselor who is like me. You're not going to be by yourself. You need to understand that I'm going to give you another helper, and and you need to know that he's going to be with you. And he talks to them about peace and joy, even in the midst of trial, because he sees a world coming that's going to kill most of his disciples. He sees hatred coming. He knows the culture and what it's going to be like and how it's going to treat followers of Jesus. He understands the opposition that's about to put him on the cross, and he's preparing them. I've said this to you that you can have your joy, and your joy may be full. I've said this to you so that you can have peace. He's teaching them. He's talking with them, preparing them for what's, for what's coming. And John 17, this beautiful passage of Scripture, Jesus, it opens with Jesus praying for his disciples. By the time you get to verse 13 to 21, he's actually praying for the disciples of the disciples, and that's us. (laughs) So we get to peer into the heart of Jesus 
to see what he prayed for his disciples and then what he intended for us, what he prayed for us in the midst of what we're facing today. He looked down the corridor of time and here's his, here's his prayer for us. And here's what it says, John 17, 13. But now I come to you, he's talking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also will believe in me through their word in Federal Way, Washington on August 20th, 2023. That's the Message, message Bible, the, the updated version. He says that they may all be one. How are we doing? <laughs> that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that, so that, the world may believe that you sent me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord and the prayer of Jesus. In case you missed it in verse 15 and 16, he says it a different way. But when people teach this, they often talk about how Jesus says and prays that his followers would be in the world, but not of the world. This word world is a good parallel, as I said, for secular culture. And so I want to share with you a couple points out of the passage. Number one, the world is a broken and godless system. In verse 14 to 16, Jesus says that his followers are not of the world. But in 1 John chapter 2, he goes a little further in, later on in the New Testament, and he says, we are called not to love the world. And then he describes what that's like. But this sort of seems like a conundrum, maybe a little confusing when you know John chapter 3 and verse 16. So we're not of the world. Jesus is not of the world. And we're not called to love the things in the world. But then John 3, 16, which we've memorized since we were kids, if you've been in church, says, God so loved the world. Yeah, it seems confusing. I'm not of it. Jesus is not of it. I'm not supposed to love the things in it. But God says he so loved it that he sent his son to die for it. So it seems confusing until you understand something, and that is there's a Greek word behind the word world, cosmos or cosmos, and it means five different things in the New Testament, which is entirely not helpful. <laughs> but here's three of them. The first one is it means the earth. That's just the physical place, the earth, sometimes. And, and guys, context always dictates the interpretation of this specific word. So it can mean the earth. The second thing it can mean is the human race or a people. That's what John 3 is talking about. God so loved the world. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about a system. He's talking about the people in the world. The third is a broken godless system, which is what John chapter 17 is referring to, 1 John 2, 1 John 5, Romans 12. In our passage, when he says world, he is very much referring to what we're talking about today, a secular culture. And this world system that I'm referring to is influenced by Satan and demonic spirits. It might be constructed by people, but the influence is from Satan. Here's what 1 John 5.19 says. We know that we, Christians, are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
How does this work? You remember when Peter unfortunately rebuked Jesus? Jesus told Peter and the disciples his plan. I'm going to go be rejected, die, be crucified, and rise to new life. And Peter rebukes Jesus. That was a bad Thursday for Peter. <laughs> Petros, little stone, <laughs> should have rolled away in that moment. Anyway, so has a bad moment. He rebukes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him right back. And he says, get behind me. You don't have in your mind that which is of God, but that which is of man. Your thoughts are satanic. What's coming out of your mouth is satanic, fundamentally satanic. Satanic thoughts, ideologies, views. Our warfare, spiritual warfare, is not primarily something that we negotiate in the world in some kind of physical way. It does play out into the natural world. However, what we're up against is not merely flesh and blood. What we understand is there's ideas. It's ideological warfare. So culture is constructed by people, but it's influenced often by satanic means. And we see that throughout Scripture. Since Adam and Eve opened the door from the beginning to evil and disobedience to God, it has affected God's creation, and the world order has shown itself to be hostile to God and destructive toward man. But you don't look convinced today, so I'm just going to share a lot of Bible verses with you to make sure we're all on the same page. The first one is 1 Corinthians 1.21. This is where Paul says, the world does not know God. They don't know God. There's no personal relationship, desire to follow. John 15, 18, it says the world hates Christ. John 14, 17, the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. John 7, 7, the deeds, the actions of the world are evil. James 4, 4, friendship with the world makes us an Enemy with God. I heard this in the Baptist church uh, for years, sorry. <laughs> when I was there, I was just preach it every week, felt like. All right, so <laughs> Ephesians 6, and I, if you're a Baptist, I love you. And, 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 Ephesians 6, 12, Paul goes further in spiritual warfare. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people. It's not an us and them. That's not, that's not the battle that we're in, although Christians, we get this wrong. He says it's against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Here's what he means. There's a spiritual realm, and that spiritual realm where Satan and demonic power, there's ideas like a frequency of hell that radio station of hell, and people are picking up that dial and they're listening to, being saturated and marinating in that, believing that, living that out. And that which is in the spiritual realm manifests through people in the natural realm. That's the revelation, is that what we see and what we negotiate, what we navigate and what we're fighting over, what we're talking about or the creeds that we're talking about, these things, a lot of these ideas come from another place, and they're not all God. This is what Paul's talking about. Therefore, to properly understand what the Bible calls the world, we have to see it as an ordered system that Satan uses to influence human affairs. And the goal is to disciple people away from following Jesus, away from loving Jesus, away from allegiance to Jesus as Lord. The second point is this. The world is in conflict with God's word. Look at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
Now, next week, I'm going to talk more directly about the Bible as our foundation and our filtration system for everything that we hear, everything that we say, everything that we, that we do. But, so I'll kick that to next week. But notice Jesus says, I've given them your word, and the next thing is, and the world hated them. You just have to make the connection. I've given them your word, and the world hated them. What does that mean? That whenever you, by believing God's word, if it is in conflict with whatever the culture may believe, it is not us and them. It's about truth. It's about truth. I did not come up with truth. If I'm trying to preach what the Bible says, some folks might get a little upset. Uh, some folks might feel like I didn't go too far. It doesn't matter. It's what does the Bible say? What's the truth? That's what the war is over. It's not an us and them. It's, it's not a debate. It's what does the Bible actually, actually say? In John 15, 18, Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you guys, guess what? Hated me first. Hated me first. This isn't about us. He said, the world hated me. And you might ask the question, why? Why all this hatred? Why, why does the world have this mindset of hatred towards Jesus? I mean, the most loving person on the planet, the one with the good news. I mean, little Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Why would the world hate Jesus? The creator of heaven and earth, everything was created through him and by him and for him. And he has the good news and not the bad news. Like, why? He's the one that redeems us. Why would the world hate him? And, and I want to tell you why today. I know you're asking the question. I'm going to answer it for you. And it's found in the Bible verse that we often don't quote. You know, we all love to quote John 3.16. It's on the Hallmark cards. It's during Christmas time. I mean, you can say it with a smile on your face. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes upon him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Who doesn't want eternal life today? I'm trying to do, you know, trying to come at you. Amen. We all want eternal life. That's it. But you don't read the rest of the verse, do you? Oh, you're guilty. I can look at you. I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is why the world hates Jesus. John 3, 19. This is judgment that light has come into the world and men and women love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. Look at this. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Wow. This is why Jesus is hated because people's deeds are evil. And even though light has come into the world, if people choose to remain in those evil deeds without repentance, without Jesus being Lord, without turning their life over to their creator, if that's where people remain, then they are also choosing to hate the representation of the light. And when you come into Christ, you come into the light, not because you in and of yourself are the light, but you're saying, I'm following him. He's the torchbearer. I want him. This isn't about me, but he saves me. He sets me free and I'm following him. And if you find yourself in that group that is following him of the light, then you're gonna be hated too. Jesus said that. The world hated me and it's going to hate you because of who you're with and what you represent and what you're going to say. And this is something you're not going to get out of because it's about truth. And Jesus' truth cuts across everyone else's truth. If everybody gets their own truth, then where would this world really be? What sense of morality would we really have? I mean, it's interesting when you talk 
to an atheist and you try to help them pin down their source of, of morality. Well, we just know. We just, common sense, we just know. No, we don't just know. If we're not designed, if there's no intention, if there's no purpose for us being here, if there's no designer that has a right and a wrong and a path that we're supposed to walk in, whether we do or not is a different issue altogether. But if there isn't a source or a designer, then what is it that we all believe and how is it that we all live? There has to be. There has to be. This is why we're here today. And we follow Jesus. He says, if you hold to my words as true, then you're going to be opposed, disliked, and you're even going to be hated. How many of you want to be hated today? There's no show of hands. Okay, there's none. You want to be hated? Do you want to be disliked? You want to be opposed? No, no, no. You, <laughs> we all want to be loved and liked and cherished and celebrated. Amen. I only hang out with people that celebrate me. I've had people say that to me. It's probably a short list, but anyways, I'm not <laughs> judging at all. The longer I talk in the sermon series, my list is growing shorter by the, by the day. But we want, we want that. We, we, there's nothing wrong with that, amen? I mean, who doesn't want to be loved and liked and celebrated and we're made for relationships? So that, that's all good. But at what cost are we willing to go after all that? At what cost? There's an invisible pressure that we all experience, and no matter how we nuance things, we're not getting out of it. And here's what I want to say to you, is that I, as Christian, I watch people, and they're asked a question about sexuality. They're asked a question about gender. They're asked a question about morality. They're asked a question about allegiance. They're asked a question about materialism or money or whatever. They're asked a question, and I see Christians dodge those answers like they're dodging bullets. It's like we're afraid. Some people are just afraid to just say it. You don't have to say it mean. You don't have to say it with anger. And you could say it with a smile on your face because the truth is the truth. And it doesn't come from me. And it doesn't come from you because I'm not the source. But friends, I want to tell you something, that if you're going to follow Jesus, at some point, you're going to be hated for what you believe. He said, I've given them your word and they hated them. Don't try to get out of it. It's a waste of your energy. Learn to acclimate to it. I want to tell you something. There are a lot of Christians that when they preach or when they, I mean, I preach, I'm passionate. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. I ah, love Jesus, you know, so don't misunderstand my passion whenever ever it happens. It does happen. But you know, I've been around plenty of Christians that when they preach, when they talk about truth, they're angry. And they talk about those people out there. You know, the world, they're going to hell. All those people out there. It's an us and them kind of conversation. It's kind of weird. It's like, where did you come from? It just so happens that I came from where them is. <laughs> Sometimes I'm listening to people and I'm like, I came out of a life of drugs and alcohol and immorality and all that. And come on, he saved me and he put my feet on solid ground. And so I'm wondering who they're talking about. Who are you talking about? You know, those people out there, you know, the world's just crazy. People, and they just, they demonize people. It's crazy. And you're like, look, man, if you're going to represent Jesus in a way that people don't like you, you're on your own. 
And the insults that you get and the hatred you get and the suffering you get and all that, that's on you. That's not on Jesus' truth. You can speak the truth with a smile on your face. You don't need to be angry. And I want to tell you why some people can't. It's because they don't interact with people that differ with them long enough and enough times in order to acclimate to the truth. See, I talk to people that don't agree with me. I talk to people that don't believe what I believe, and I just get used to it. Amen? It's like a little dance. And I'm going to dance the longest. And I can't dance. So we're just going to see what funky thing happens here. It's amazing. But I'm just saying, like, when you talk to people that don't agree with you and you do it long enough and you do it enough times, you get acclimated to it and it's not uncomfortable and you're not angry and you're not upset about it because you know what you believe, but you're trying to help people. Like, I used to be where you are and I'm not higher than you and I'm not better than you. I'm just saying there is something that is true and I found it and I want you to find it too. So I'm passionate about that. Some people are angry about it, though. Why are you angry? Listen, Northwest Church, we're never going to be an angry church. That's not going to help anybody. That's never going to help anybody. So we have the truth, and we got to wrestle with it in a world that's not going to agree. Jesus said, they hated you. They're going to hate you. He's looking down the corridor of time, and he's like, they're going to hate you for this. (laughs) But hey, guys, they hated me. And by the way, Jesus is the most loving person on the planet and we crucified him. Some people have that mentality, well, all you got to do is just be loving to people, and they're going to love you back. They killed Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question today. Do you love better than Jesus? All right, well, I mean, I've heard that preached. I really have in charismatic church. I mean, they're just, oh, just love, love, love. All you got to do is just love people. You do got to love people, but some people do that at the expense of ever telling the truth. We're afraid to tell our kids. We're afraid to go to the family reunion because we know what's going to happen. And we're going to have a conversation with, you know, Uncle Joe, whoever, and it's going to come up and then we're going to be the bigot. We're going to be the one that hates and we're going to be, because we're representing something else. And I want to tell you something. You're going to stand before God someday. And what you and I did with his truth, not my opinion, not your opinion, not the culture's opinion or some nuance of kindness. You're going to stand before the God of truth and what you and I did with what is true is going to be seen for what it is. And so right now, we have to acclimate to what that is and make sure that we're lining up with God and get so used to it where we can talk to people that differ with us, where we can do it with a smile on our face. That's my goal. That's my goal. Somebody say, well, you're, you're hateful. You're a bigot because of the, the, your view of sexuality. Hey, I totally know how you could think that, but let me just tell you why it matters. See, it's just so different than like <laughs> coming, coming at people. You know? Amen. All right, well, you, say, you might say today, well, Pastor Ben, have you ever been called hateful and bigoted? And uh, have you ever taken a hit for believing and sharing the truth? Yes. I remember, um, I don't know if this relates to you or not, but I was invited. Now, this is a funny story, okay? So, and I got the microphone, and we're just going to do it. So... <laughs> I was invited to a local community college through someone else, but the uh, Muslim Student Association was holding a, a meeting. And the goal of the meeting was for Muslims and Jews and Christians to come together and talk about our similarities. All right, that's really all I knew. So I was invited to be the Christian representation. Don't ask me how. To this day, I really believe, and I mean this, I really believe that I was invited because I think they thought that I was dumb. If you're a young person in the room, don't repeat the word dumb. Just 
the best word I know for this. But I think they thought that. And the reason, well, you're about to find out. So I was told that I was going to have 20 minutes to share. And then I was told we were going to have, uh, we were going to have a time of like curated questions and answers. All right. That's what I was told. I got there and uh, the Muslim guy was an imam. He just got back from his trek to Mecca three months ago. He was dressed so nice. Uh, the other guys, they were dressed so nice. And I looked like I just got done landscaping, okay? <laughs> so, and I felt dumb. I did. I, I honestly didn't want to be there. I just felt so bad. What I didn't realize was this was, at the time, I didn't know this was put on by the Muslim Student Association. I was told there'd be like 35 to 40 people there. It was standing room only. It was packed. It was like this whole section of people was just packed. People standing all around. It was videotaped. I was not told any of this. And then what happened was not Pastor Ben's going to get an opportunity to speak. What happened was they basically had a worship service, a Muslim worship service. So they had singing and all that, and I just kind of sat there. Up front, in front of everybody, they had singing. It's whatever, you know, it was their thing. I just didn't know. And then the, the uh, imam preached for like 40 minutes. None of us got to speak. He took all of our time. So I wasn't offended. I was just like, What's, why am I even here, you know? <laughs> I realized this was an outreach. At some point along the way, can you just, I'm trying to help you feel what I feel. <laughs> At some point, I realized this was an outreach, and I was just a means to an end. And so I am a Pentecostal, so I started praying in the Holy Ghost under my breath. You'd be proud of me. I was just praying in tongues. Shut up. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Lord, help me. So then we went to Q&A time. It was not curated at all. So there's a large LGBTQ group on campus, and there was a whole section of people, and they came specifically for the Q&A. Five minutes before the Q&A, a team of people walked all the way up front and put a camera right in front of me. And they set it all up, and they set it up, and it's literally right in front of me. And I'm, listen, I'm not demonizing them. I'm not even saying they were trying to do this. This is just what happened, all right? This is just an average day for Pastor Ben Dixon. <laughs> they just put the camera right there. And I was thinking, that's why you, Pastor Ben, why are you praying in tongues? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Make a good Presbyterian, a Pentecostal overnight. <laughs> so... So I'm there, and um, they go to Q&A, and they ask me all the hard questions. They skip the Muslim. They skip the other guys. They just ask. The, so the LGBTQ community, they're asking the hard questions. What do you believe the Bible says about homosexuality? What do you believe about gender? What do you, I mean, just all of them. If you can think of them, it felt like they asked them all. And every time I started answering, I was answering, I'm very clear. If you've been at our church for any length of time, you know I'm not, ambiguous is not my gift. Okay, since I was a little boy, I've just not been that way. So I was being very clear and then I would be cut off. I'd say something and I would want to nuance a little bit. I want to say, here's what the Bible says, dot, dot, dot. And then I'd be cut off. Everything I said was cut off in a way where I was, I, I was absolutely looked like I hated people. I hate gay people. I hate transgender people. I'm a bigot. I mean, they curated this whole thing. And I'm telling you, I felt terrible. I, I felt what it was like to get censored. I know what it's like. I was right there. It was a firing squad. They got me. And there's nothing. All I could do is I looked at the group of people that were there, and they were all upset and all that. I said, hey, guys, can you please invite me out to have like an actual dialogue? I would love to do that on camera, off camera, all by lunch. <laughs> you know, I had a smile on my face the whole time. I didn't know what else, um, what else to do. 
Uh, here's what I learned. It was an outreach for the Muslim community, and Muslims in some countries that are Muslim countries have a more severe view of homosexuality than I do, but they weren't asked the questions. They only asked me. And so I just want you to know that when you think of like, there are times in your life where you can't dodge the question. And I learned that day a couple things. I just want to share them with you. You're welcome. Culture is bent against biblical truth. I learned that very clearly. Number two, you, can, you can't get out of saying the truth and being hated for it at times. You need to stop trying. You just need to take it. It was fine. I walked out of there and I slept well that night. I'm not hateful. I don't hate people. And I know where I come from. I was looked that way by about 150 people that day. Um, I think even some of the Christians in the room shook their head at me. It was not my greatest moment, but I couldn't stop what was happening. It just was what it was. The other thing I learned is being clear matters so that we can actually practice the Bible and love your enemies. You know, this is an interesting point, and I want you to hear this. Jesus said, love your enemies. I feel like some Christians, the way they handle truth in the name of compassion is they're trying to get out of ever having an enemy. An enemy isn't someone you hate. An enemy is someone who hates you as a Christian. So when the Bible says love your enemies, you have to love people that hate what you believe. This isn't about how you feel about them. Jesus wasn't saying you hate people. He's saying people are gonna hate you because of what you believe and you need to stop making it so that it's not different and start clarifying the differences and speak the truth in a way where it's clear enough where you can love people. I say to you parents, if you have kids struggling with things, speak the truth to your kids. Because if your kids decide to repent, they will trust your witness and come back and get right with Jesus and know that you gave them a credible witness of what was true. If we're trying to nuance in the name of relationship, in the name of compassion, usually that is about us. I understand you want relationship with your kids. You want relationship with your family and you feel that tension and you feel that angst. Well, if I say what they're asking, if I really share it, then I'm gonna lose relationship. Friends, you're not gonna get out of that. That's what we're doing. We're trying to get out of that. See, we're trying to save something for ourselves. It's not built on reality when we try to save something that isn't ours to save. But here's what I know happens. If you maintain a credible witness of God's truth and you're humble and you're transparent and you're open about it and you're sharing and you're honest, when people, when prodigals come back home, they can trust you because you never compromise what was true. Parents, hear me. You never compromise what was true. You loved them, but you also told them the truth. And I want to tell you, the Spirit of God is moving on people today. LGBTQ and everything else. God is moving on people in this world, and he's looking to raise up people that can be a credible witness, where those people who are experiencing God's Spirit can come to them because they'll lead them in repentance. We're living in a world where Christians are so wishy-washy, they don't even know how to lead someone to Christ. They know how to defend themselves and get into a bubble and feel safe. And that is not what we're called to. We say, well, Ben, what's the third point? Thank you for moving me along. Christians are called to be set apart from the world. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them in your truth. That means make them holy, set them apart. 
Paul said it this way in Romans 12 too. He said, do not be conformed to this world or to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. The pattern of this world. My shirt has a pattern. This world has a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of living. There's a pattern in this world. There's a mold that is, we're trying to, the world's trying to press us into this mold. And we have to understand our mind has to be renewed or we've got no shot of being effective in the kingdom of God. The reason why some of us as Christians are rendered ineffective is because we don't know the word well enough and we need to know it better than we do. Because when we know it, we know what we believe. And when we know what we believe and we share it long enough, we acclimate to the truth and we're able to be kingdom advocates and effective in God's hands. First John chapter 2 John says, do not love the world, verse 15, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. How serious. I used to wonder what he meant. You know, it says that if you love the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That's a sober word, isn't it? And I realize that you and I as human beings, we have a capacity. We have ability. We're not unlimited. So if we love the things in the world, we don't have anything left over for Jesus. If we fill up on the things of the world and we're just given towards everything in this world, the way that it thinks, the way that it lives, the way that it goes, if that's what we are, then we don't have any love for God. The love of the Father is not in them. They have no place for God. God is displaced from their life. And he talks about the lust of the flesh, the cravings of our sinful desires that gratify us sexually, relationally, emotionally. I mean, isn't this some of the cultural stuff we're fighting over today? Isn't this the cultural stuff that we're talking about? Sexuality is a massive one, so much so that it's become political. Have you ever imagined that it would be a political issue, and yet it has become that? In the Bible, the word lust is used to describe this unholy longing for more, which is in contrast to a holy longing, a hunger and thirst for more of God in our lives. He also says the lust of the eyes leads us to jealousy, envy, comparison, the things that we see. And so much of our world appeals to what we see, the advertisements all over the place. I mean, it's subtle. We'll talk about a lot of this stuff over the next several weeks, but it's subtle. I mean, I joke about the anti-aging things. I opened up my little Costco pamphlet and it was like, because I'm losing my hair. (laughs) Only on the top of my head though, ironically. Feels like everything else is just fine. I don't get it. (laughs) You know, like, Lord, can we apply that somewhere? All right, so I don't get it, but uh, (laughs) it's like I got more hair on my toe now than I used to and my head, you know, I don't... (laughs) It's like, if you're like 25, you're like, what is he talking about? Wait till you're 45. You just, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to get it real quick. And what is this guitar string growing out of my ears? I don't know what that is. I don't, <laughs> that was not there when I was 20. I don't, <laughs> I don't, is anybody, you're laughing because you know you had to cut that this morning to get to church. I don't want anybody looking over at me. It's 1130 service is packed. <laughs> you can't hide like in the Saturday service. Nobody sees that. All right. Anyways, um, <laughs> and I was looking at the Costco thing. It's like anti-aging cream and anti-aging shampoo. and anti- You can buy this like helmet 
this infrared helmet that's supposed to like zap your head and give you back like what you used to have. And <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> it's like $500. And, and, and some of you have bought it. And I'm not judging here today. I'm not, I'm not judging, you know. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. In our world, you know, a couple of you got veneers on your mouth. I don't know. I don't know. We're just, but subtly, you know what all that stuff says to me? You're not going to die. You don't have to die. You say, well, that's not secular culture, really. It's like invest into this world. Invest into your best. It may not seem as demonically inspired, but it is saying something to you that you can live forever without going through Jesus. You can spend your money on all this to look better and feel better and appear better, but guys, we're going to die. And it's not what things are often saying in the culture, it's what they're not saying that is the problem. And so this sort of humanistic, naturalistic, materialistic world that we're a part of, sometimes the things that we're most angry about aren't even the things that are destroying us the most. It's the materialism where our money goes. I believe in the kingdom. I believe in the local church, but I give my money to everything but that. Uh Uh-oh. See what I'm saying? This world is just taking it from us. We don't even realize it. Lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. The enemy is a salesman, and the powers of the world system are the ad and the product, and he has two weapons, the weapons of mass distraction and weapons of mass destruction. And his intent is to confuse us to convince us and to control us. And the Word of God helps us to find another way because the culture may be discipling you more than you realize. The culture may be discipling you more than you realize. And today's a day for us to say no more. The last thing Jesus says here as I close is we're sent into the world to reach the people in the world. Now, the statement is, be in the world and not of the world. And when I first got saved, I heard this, this preached so much. I almost thought when people said, be in the world and not of the world, I almost thought the mission of Jesus was just not to be of the world. Like, let's have our holy huddle. Let's just get together, all of us Christians, all us sanitized people, and let's just get together and let's just keep the filth of the world out of our circle out of our family. Let's just build walls and nobody else can be in here. And it's just potlucks and raffles and smiles and giggles and fun and raising our kids so that they're never stained by the things out there. Even though a lot of us came from out there (laughs) and Jesus redeemed us. You know, there's a verse, we quote it when we get in a jam, but I, I would tell you it fits here. Greater is he who is in us than he who is What is there to be afraid of? Greater is he who is in us. And and here's what Jesus says. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one, even as you and I are one, that the world might know that you sent me. I gave them your word, and the world hated them. But the world also hated me because we're not of the world. But then I pray that they would not be of the world, that they would not be influenced by the world, nor the evil one. So prepare them, but send them back into the world so they can reach people that are still under its influence. See, for some reason, some Christians missed the memo on that one. They thought it was about not being of the world. No, no, no. It was that we aren't influenced by the things of the world so that we can reach people that are. 
But if we're just living like everyone else, we will be rendered ineffective in the kingdom of God and we will do nothing for Jesus and for his glory. And so if the attractions of the world is what we want, friends, we will not be effective in the kingdom of God. Jesus taught about it so many times in his parables. He talked about the pleasures, the cares, the cares and the worries of this life. The pleasures, the cares, the worries of this life. I want you to enjoy your life. I do. But I feel like some Christian messages out there today, and I, and I mean this, I'm not saying ours is better and theirs sucks. I'm just, like, I just feel like it's all about have your best life. And if people are mean to you, just cut them off. And I mean, it just sounds so awesome. I mean, have some good boundaries. I mean, get some counseling or whatever. Or, but I just feel like there's this Christian message that's all about pack, this packaged life that doesn't involve you and I rubbing shoulders with people that used to be like us and helping folks. Like, where's that today? Why is the church not about the mission of Jesus? Why? When Jesus said, this is the last thing I want you to hear. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. That's death to the old self. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you and I'm with you to the end of the age. There was this stamp on the church and the, ch the church is most effective and most alive when they're doing what Jesus said. And so here's Jesus in John 17, and he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for the future disciples because I know you're going into a world, and that world might kill you. Because it killed me. It might kill you, but it's worth it. Don't live for the world. Don't be of the world. You came out of the world so you can reach the world. That's the, that's the mandate of the church. It's the mandate of the church. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Florida before evangelist Reinhard Bonnke passed away. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but I got to go to his fire school of evangelism. It was the last one he ever did. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. My friend invited me. At that time, you had to get invited to it. And so my friend knows people who knows people. And so I got invited. And the Holy Spirit said to me, go, this is the last fire school of evangelism he'll ever do. Their, their ministry is responsible for over 25 million people coming to Christ. He's this old German guy and, and uh, just got this amazing thick accent. When he speaks, you listen, like your spine gets a little stronger when he speaks. <laughs> makes preachers want to quit, you know what I mean? It just, it just makes you want to quit. Um, I sat there second row and I remember when he, he said this, he, he He's, he was actually struggling with cancer, but he didn't say anything. He's sitting on a chair, and he would, every time he would preach about Jesus, he would get up off his chair, and he'd look everyone in the eyes. There's all a hundred of us. I was almost scared. It was amazing. And he'd point to us, and he'd say, the church that has forgot to save the lost is lost itself. And I was like, yes, I believe you. <laughs> but his words, like, went into me. You ever had that happen? It's like when somebody speaks, there's, it's freighted with heaven. And we're just talking, but there are times where a person speaks and it's freighted with God. And it goes into your heart and it grabs you and it grips you and you can't let it go. Something is going on on the inside. And that happened when I heard that man preach. This man who was dying and most of us didn't even know it. And he was like, the church that forgets to save the lost is lost. Isn't that the truth? Why? Because we're so captured by the world. The advertisements of the world. The, the ways of this world. The life that you're, you all want to have in this world. Enjoy your life. That's great, but you have to enjoy it with Jesus. 
or you're never going to get satisfied. Never. So friends, here's the thing. As I close it, there's a tension that you're going to face. There's a truth that you believe. There's a way that you're following. And we're not trying to get out of it. We're trying to get more into it. And as we do that, we can acclimate to the truth in such a way where we can really become effective and helpful. We're not trying to be the angry church, but we are not trying to be the untruthful church. Love and compassion, they go together. And that's what changes the world. That's what changed me. That's what changed you. That's what our world needs today. We're in it, amen, but not of it. And Jesus sends us back into it so that we could see more people saved and discipled in Jesus' mighty name. Would you stand to your feet? I got to pray you out or I'm going to keep preaching. And I don't think it's going to get any better than whatever I said. So would you put your hands out today? Let's ask the Lord for that burden. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we want to glorify you. We want to live in your prayer. We thank you that you pulled us out, Lord, and that you send us back in, that you've called us to be in it, but not of it. And Lord, I just pray for conviction today. If our hearts are captured by the ways of the world, Lord, I pray that you'd purify us. Father, I pray that you would be our first love. I pray that, Lord, we would be captured by you and you alone. And God, I also pray, Lord, that if the way that we're navigating through our cultural context is one that is putting people off unnecessarily, Lord, I pray you'd humble us and that you would show us that love and truth have to work together, that clarity and compassion need to come back to your bride. And I ask you, Lord, for both. And Lord, help us to not get out of the tension. You gave us your word and the world mindset, not the people, but the mindset hates us. But Lord, we realize it's not us and them. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And so I pray you'd restore your authority back to your church. Father, restore authority. We preach the truth. We cast out demons. We heal the sick. We see the lost saved and disciples made. And I pray you'd give us a burning passion and an ache, an ache in our hearts to do what you gave us to do. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone say, come on, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.